Hey everybody, welcome to the Portsmouth Basketball Podcast. This is part two of an interview series. If you haven't heard part one yet, go back and check it out. But for those of you who are here at the right time, thank you so much for listening. Let's get into it. Yeah, like you say, obstacle after obstacle after like whacking the face after kicking the balls after like... Yeah. So like <coughs> coming back to the UK, um, is that when you went back into the Sony Stars? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, joined the Sony Stars under Mark Scott. 2001, 2002. Uh, and that's with... Uh, that's a good team there. That's an excellent team. We got... Americans, John Bynum, Marlon Capers, Alan Cunningham came to play for us um, as a 50-year-old and, and yeah, just an incredible. What was he like to play with? I mean, we're, we're talking, when we say Alan Cunningham, I guess for uh, people our age, we're talking the godfather of Portsmouth basketball, the right. area of basketball, are we? I guess, because he played for that. Portsmouth FC team, right? Yeah. Yep. And it was, you know, but he's. I mean, he's one of the big one of the ones names, that anyone it? our age yeah. is looking up to. Like, wow, that's Alan Cunningham. Yeah, he's like one Colin of the Irish. Fathers, same thing. One of the fathers of the game, right? Yeah. The, the fathers yep. of the British game. Yeah. He's a, like, part of that generation. So who, what was he like playing with? <laughs> in what sense? Oh, physical. Incredibly physical. I mean, he's going to grab you a dozen rebounds a night. Uh, he was a he's big gonna dude. Shoot. He, he's he's going to shoot the three with people in his face, and it just doesn't phase him. You know, he still he can still shoot. As a teammate, he's generally really encouraging. Um, I mean, back then you played the semi. So we played in the finals, right? In that team, we made it to the finals. And uh, back then you play the semi-final on the Saturday. This is men's division one. You play the semi-final on the Saturday and the final on the Sunday. That is crazy. It is absolutely <laughs> What is that about? <laughs> so Alan comes to us like... Get the physios ready. He's like, fellas, he's a 50-year-old man, right? He goes, fellas, I'm going to give you everything i got tonight. I'll do the best I can tomorrow. <laughs> he drops 32 points in the semi-final on the... On the as a 50-year-old wow. man, right? Oh, yeah. This is just a master of the game at this stage. And uh, and the next night, you know, fair play, fair play to him. He must have been dying. Like, I'm 44, and I can't. You know, we, <laughs> I can't play two local league games back to back. But yeah, in the final, we lost in double overtime. It's um, double a tragic overtime. story. Yeah. Oh. Go on, let's have it. What's the tragic story? Uh, just that we lost double overtime to Teesside. Oh, yeah. Was there a point that you thought? Was, so, who was ahead before it went to the first over the time? Oh, mate, it was a long time ago, Mark. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's funny, though, because... It was against the Teesside Mohawks. They also had a couple of good Americans. They'd had a great season as well. So when you say people like Alan Cullingham, and not, you know, we were lucky enough to not play with him, but watch him play when we were little. But as a, a having him as a teammate, what made him such an exceptional player? What, what made some of these players, all the good players that you've played with, What is the, are there traits that are similar? Are, are there things that isn't there? There's nothing similar to Alan Cunningham. As no? a 50-year-old man, like, pretty much dominant. You know, he's probably taken it easy because we had two fantastic Americans. But, like, I just kind of painted that picture of the semi-finals. He dropped 32 points because 
when it matters, he's going to use all his knowledge, all his strength, all his tricks, and he's going to show up, and he's going to carry the team when it matters, you know? And that's NBL Div 1 yeah. in those days. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 32 points at 50 years old. Jeez. In the semi-final. I can get 32 points at 22 years old. Yeah. Um, and then, Jeez. so you were the Solent Stars, and at a certain point, you you went international, didn't you? Yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah, yes, I did. I wouldn't put it like that. I wasn't <laughs> earning money anywhere. It was just uh, I met a young lady. I was coaching Portsmouth basketball team. Oh yeah, I remember actually. You were my coach at one point, Portsmouth University. You became the Portsmouth University coach. Was I? Yeah, and you. Well, said, I know I was the Portsmouth basketball coach, but I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, you did a port. You started doing Portsmouth University, and you went, Paul. Do you go to uni here? I went. Yeah, you went. Right, you're playing next game, <laughs> and it was. And I was in my final year. I don't know why I didn't play university basketball, but I was in my final year, and it was halfway through. And then you went play, and then yeah, started. That was the first time I, I started playing. Oh, amazing! You were doing a lot. Of, we were playing a lot of Fury games at that point. So you were playing Fury, and you were doing football at the same time. Yeah, I know I was doing a lot, but yeah, but yeah, so I started playing um, for the university and you were coach. That just popped in my head. Fantastic. Yeah. Got really excited about that. That's St. Paul's, wasn't it? Sports uh, yeah, St. Paul's. Yep. Yeah, so that, ended that up, funny springy floor. Ended up also coaching the women's team and met a French woman there. Um, so I'm only 22. That's yeah, well, it's the same season I'm coaching. I'm playing for Mark Scott with Alan Cunningham and all those guys. The same season I'm coaching... Portsmouth uh, University, men's and women's, and yeah, met a young French woman there. So I went back to France to continue that romance and ended up playing for a small village, which was a fantastic experience again. Like if anything, basketball has been a passport to uh, travel and to see different parts of the world like that otherwise wouldn't have been. Like the French, lots of people go from this country, go to France and they think, oh, the French, they were so rude and everything like this. But like, if you learn French, if you know how to speak French, if you go and play basketball for a little village and you help them get promoted to the next division, like they're so receptive. They're like the warmest, most hospitable, inclusive people. <laughs> uh, maybe that's a step too far, but I still, think, I get a completely different impression of it being, yeah, a, think, being an, as someone who's contributed to the to their culture. I think learning the language makes a big difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, even making the effort to learn the language wherever you are always makes a big difference. So you ended up in Australia as well, right? Yeah, that was just traveling. I wasn't playing basketball over there, but okay, okay. Um, and then at a certain point, so th this is kind of where we started playing National League together. Hold on, so. let's go. Can I just take you back to France a second? Yeah. Just uh, the crowds there were also the villagers, right? Um, but the parents of my teammates played on the first team, or maybe the grandparents of my teammates played on the first team that existed oh, wow. uh, in France. And the story came about, and I think you're going to find this interesting. This is my perception of what I learned whilst I was there. <clears throat> And it's actually crucial to why basketball is more popular in Europe than it is in this country. So France was occupied by the Germans and it was liberated by the Americans. And the GIs came over and they brought basketball with them and they taught the locals how to play basketball. And so if your country was occupied by the Germans and liberated by the Americans, it seems like you were introduced to basketball in the 40s. Yeah. 
right? And that, and then that becomes in, embedded in your culture. Ah, okay. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereas the UK sense. wasn't occupied by the Nazis, wasn't liberated by the Americans. No. Weren't introduced to their... Well, I've never thought sports. of it like that. Yeah. I mean, we had the Americans over here, obviously, but... Yeah. I mean, who's the, who's the strongest? When you think of the strongest European places, Greece, Italy... It's not quite universal. Spain. I don't it's think not, Spain was liberated. Spain had their own dictator. It yeah. doesn't quite work everywhere. Same Italy, they had their own thing going on, the, but... It's true in France. Like, that's fair. Yeah, I've never thought of it like that before, no, yeah. I've never looked at that. Yeah. So, yeah, I just wanted to kind of make that point on your basketball podcast. But did you have, I mean, as we talked about, you, you came from that, you went with Solent. Did Solent give you back uh, positivity about basketball playing again and then to go to France? have that positivity that you like from that experience after america after america yeah uh i mean the dream the dream of becoming a professional was dead but yeah i still loved i loved basketball that year particularly uh we had a good crew a good squad good coaching staff i think steve fitzsimmons again my old college coach became the assistant coach who was perhaps mentoring mark scott through his level three coaching award um yeah that was a good season I mean, I was never the dream. The dream of becoming a professional was dead. So it was just kind of playing for fun, playing for pleasure, and and it felt like we had a chance to go all the way as well. So the motivation was back. Yeah, the motivation was there. And I guess whilst you were while you were away as well, that's when I think, and I don't know the full details. I just know at some point Mick started running the Solent Stars team. Um, and that's when he asked me to play for Solent Stars. I only played for one season and it was kind of, it felt like in f- free fall. Um, I think. What season was that? What year was that? Oh, this has got to be um, 2000 and seven 2008 around there somewhere i think um but i just remember it it felt like it was in free fall a bit and then the season finished i mean we finished all the games season finished and then mick took national league uh ports of back to national league with the portsmouth smugglers and that's when you turned up back in portsmouth that's what i remember then going right oh we got Steve here and we had you uh, Clayton Milner he came from Solent um, Ryan Payne from Solent um, and then we had Andy Ong from Portsmouth yeah uh, Harry Vesey yeah from Portsmouth and then obviously you had the younger players which would have been I guess the Teasdale brothers and Lawrence Rowe yeah um, Leon Bailey Leon yeah myself um, and then that was that Portsmouth smuggler. See, we had that for, I think, I think, no, you, sorry. I think you came in the second season and in the first season, that's when we had the Hughes brothers. So it was a real youth team. And then all of a sudden we had an explosion of experience come in. That was right. So it was in the second, sec, our second season as Portsmouth smugglers when you came in. Right. So I was kind of training as a tree surgeon and running my own tree surgery business and like playing basketball is a, is a bit at odds with trying to do a physical job. Um, the risk of injury in basketball means a lack of, you know, it kind of compromises your income as a as a physical labourer. So 
I may or may not have been. I was in the area, but not perhaps committed to a basketball team. Oh, okay. But you did come into the Ports of Smothers. because yeah, you're you, talking about 2007, 2008. Towards the end of that, of the 2000 noughties, whatever you call it. And that team kind of went on for like five, six years. Because we started in Div 4. Yeah. And then we ended up in Div 2. So right. we were around the top of Div 2. Um, and it was pretty much, from what I remember, it was you, Ryan, Payne, Clayton Milner were our top yeah. scorers, usually. Yeah. Um, so I'd probably actually go as far to say, in that era, that Portsmouth Smugglers team, you were probably our Portsmouth top scorer. I'm pretty, pretty confident saying that. I mean, it's going to be what, you, Ryan well, or Clayton, isn't it? For that season? No, no. For that era of, we're talking about that Portsmouth smuggler era because you played for the entirety of it. I wouldn't like to say. I think you were because Ryan left. Okay, I And that's like when the Te Teasdale <laughs> brothers come in. Um, I think Clayton uh, was a season after you. So I think you'll probably are the I top scorer with, with for Clayton. that. Definitely played with Clayton and Ryan. Yeah. And the Teasdales. Definitely Cray Teasdale. Don't know about Owen or... Owen Carl. came in towards the end. Right. Carl didn't. So, the, so there's three brothers. Teasdale's... The, yep. Sorry, there's three Teasdale brothers. But it was... Um, Craig and Owen were definitely in the team. Mm. And I think Carl was coming through Who else? Through Luke Sanders. If, was he on that team? Yes, Luke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Luke was. There's another Portsmouth talent. And then... Um, you had the older Bates. Um, Harry. No, that's the younger brother. Uh, I can't remember his first name, but yeah. It'll come to me. It'll but come to me. You, you know what? What I do remember in that in in that era was there was um I think it was I'm sure it was a website or something like that. But at some point in a game, you you highlighted that there was this website that. Um, records the top scorers and stuff like that. Yeah. And um, I was like, wow, we're playing bottom of the league next game. Um, I know I'm going to get more minutes than I normally do. And I was third top scorer. And I remember showing Steve, the web hey, Steve, look, I'm third. <laughs> there you go. I'm in this website or whatever. What was that? You're published. Yeah. <laughs> they actually do that. Um, or on the uh, Basketball England website. And they do it for the BBL, National League Div 1 and 2, and they keep running stats of everything. So the top 10 three-point shooters, uh, free-throw shooters. My favourite one is um, most fouls committed during the season. That was like, <laughs> that is my stat. I love that yeah. one. Um, but yeah, after on another podcast, I'll get the name up of the guy who's top for. He, he plays in Div Two for some team, and he's got like something like ninety-seven fouls or something like that in the season. I was like, legend. That's my player. So I wonder what happens if the stat, if that's only in BBL one and two, that if you if your team drops out, what down to three? I know they don't. I don't think they do it. They don't record it. No, but no, then no, what happens if you well, then come back up? Unless your again? team does it. I think, and I could be wrong, but I think once you progress to Division Two, you need a statistician. I, I'm just, the, I'm the, just saying, if you drop out of that, if I was used to getting my stats, and then for some reason we dropped out and I didn't get my stats anymore, you'd be like, 
little disappointed because I want to know now that season's been lost. Even if you went down for one season and went back up again, it's like that's the lost season well, on your, on your checkered history. Those stats are actually invaluable as well because it's saying something to the players. It's definitely saying something to the coach. I mean, something that no one knows about, well, you do, Mark, but um, one of the things that we were evolving throughout the season last year is I created this computer program okay. um, and I had a touchscreen laptop in front of me and literally I had programmed in trying to visualize it now but yeah basically all the players down one side and it was buttons for uh, free throw two points three points so you were keeping stats I was and but I was doing Fantastic. it I was doing it to the point where it's like if they shot right and they missed I'd press a button so it include the shot percentage um, did it for three point fouls do you have um, a, like a court, a chart at the court, so you could kind of? No, I didn't do it. Like it, li- it was literally just buttons. No, it was literally just buttons. But it recorded the whole suite, and the challenge I had is obviously um, when someone scores, it's like ah, Steve Davison. I'm doing that, but at the same time, it you're was announcing, you're and entertaining, doing the stats and doing the, the stats at the same time. But the challenge I had was it was like okay, number six has just put up a shot. He missed it. Number 12 got a rebound. He passed it out. Yeah. Someone then shot a three and it went in. So it's like, well, okay, so that's a missed shot, a rebound, an assist, yeah. and have made three points. I have to record and say their name. Yeah. So and I found it extreme. I couldn't do it. Typically, it takes two people to record the stats. Yeah. Uh, one would be calling out what happened, and the other would be right. Like one of them would have their eyes on the sheet that they're recording the stats on, and someone's sitting next to them saying, rebound 12. Uh, missed shot, 14 blue, offensive rebound, yeah, uh, 12 blue. There we go. Well, assist 12 blue, three point attempt and make uh, three blue. Yeah, so I mean, I I did manage to do it. Um, for I think for two games, and what I was doing was then sending that information to the head coach and the assistant coach at half time say that's invaluable Paul what one of your players is currently 12% and has shot 23 pointers yeah. it was just highlight yeah, and yeah, it yeah. would highlight it in red or if they had if their fouls were going up it would highlight it in orange when it was red it was like they're about to be chucked out of the game kind of thing but that's it was, invaluable it, to a coach it was great but it evolved it You're basically been. assistant coach as well. <laughs> You're announcing it, statistician, assistant it, coach. It didn't go down well with uh, the the numbers. And uh, well, that was a challenge we fouls. had as well because because we're right by the court. I would see a foul, and I wasn't waiting for the ref. I'd, the, I'd hear the ref call the whistle, and I'd like that's a foul on number twelve because <laughs> I've just seen you call it, and I'd press number twelve. And then as we were going, what I found was there might be conflicts with the table um and it could it very much could be i'm wrong because so you're I'm, sort of calling the shots like before are you in conflict with the referee sometimes no <laughs> no they didn't no one knew i was doing this but i'd just be sitting there and where okay. the challenge came from i would see foul on steve davidson number 12 i'd press 12 and go that is steve's third personal foul and then it would be at half time i'd be double checking well hang on that's his he's only got He's got three, uh, two personal fouls or four. I'll right. be like, well, hang on, I've missed something. What's happened? So it was, 
Because because you're not the because you're not doing the actual desk and you're not doing the recording of it. It's difficult. That's perhaps to why someone in your position would be sat on the table with those people recording yeah, those. Normally they the, would, but we know, can't because where the yeah. mics are and we got limited it, wire length. That's why. You know, I did well side. on on the actual who's doing the record on the in the middle. There's usually two sat there, as you say, and actually, if one of them somehow put it in that information that we could see, then you could call it out, no problem at all. Yeah. Um, but that that's the the simple evolution. It's just going to be, you know, you could even be just send a text message, whatever it is. It could be as send an owl. I don't care. Um, but that's why you had to sort of stop it because it was just getting to that point of there's much. four actions going on here. You don't want to call anything out at the same time or preempt a call if you're not sure. Um, and at that point also, is you know, the context of it was we were still trying to get the refs comfortable with having backing music, making making some noise, getting the crowd involved and jeering people up because they didn't want that. Yeah, and right. and some some of the coaches were like, "Hang on a minute, what's going on here? This is like an unfair advantage." You're training the refs. You got you got <laughs> I, I you got 250 know. people turning up to a Div Three game. <laughs> yeah, you go when they go to an away game, they might have 15 people sharp, and it's like, "Thanks, mum." You know, I this is like I just I don't think it was a, they were against it. I think it is the rules are not clarified, so it's crystal clear. Yeah. So there is no rule to say. Um, it's an are they allowed jing, to do jingles. this because so, no one knew from a referee's perspective they would say well hang on you're not allowed to do this it's an unfair advantage and we're like there's nothing in the rule book right. I, I spent a day reading through all of BE documentation I know there's nothing in the rule books like it's home advantage I've gone to, ultimately but, you know what I don't understand this and I, th I don't know if this is an English thing where everyone has to be nice inclusive and inclusive and non-competitive and politically correct and say excellent well well done on that shot you've just knocked us out the playoffs well done it's like come on there's nothing wrong with home court advantage it's not about think. winning paul it's about taking part yeah exactly Have you met paul steve <laughs> i don't think there's anything wrong with home court advantage no but I, but, but you know it raises a point because as you're saying steve those stats are so vital because actually they change the flow of the game it's like hang on a minute Oh, I think he's not having a too bad a game. He's doing all right. You go, he's having an absolute this guy, shocker. This guy's on fire. Yeah. You know, you need to run a play for him. And yeah, yeah. Every time he's touched the ball, he's hit it. Do you realize that? It's like, no. He's like, yeah, he's like 70, 80% yeah. inside. Like, um, it's I'll another dimension. It gives another dimension to the coach. And the, one of the stats I remember was um, a guy called Zachary Arby. Yeah, I know He that. was something like five for five at half-time shooting threes. It was ridiculous. And we were looking at it going, bloody hell, he's 100% <laughs> from shooting threes. Um, well, Steve mentioned it in his podcast about flow. He was just yeah. in that. He just, it was just in that, give him the ball, just get the ball to him. He's just in that place where he's happy and he's comfortable with the ball and he yeah. just... He but there was it. that third yeah. quarter where he wasn't getting the ball and yeah. we were like, we were looking at the stats, seeing it going, he's 100%. It's like, the most annoying Give it to thing. him, get yeah. it to him. As a shooter, if you're hot and your and your teammates don't, yeah, run but, a play for you but, or like because it's it's not even about you at this point. It's the best thing for the team is to get the ball into the guy's hands yeah. who's shooting. But, a but light is that the money ball factor? Because uh, you know, for anyone who hasn't watched Money Ball, you've got to go watch it. It's a brilliant film. But where they're talking about stats in baseball and how that transformed baseball, saying we're looking at the stats of the individual contributions that as a team it all adds up to. 
all of these people have got to do little bits to make a win. And so it all comes down to the stats. When you look at the way some of the, a lot of professional teams are played now, certainly in the NBA, they're really leaning on stats more and more and more now. And uh, I don't know if that's changed the game for the better or worse. Well, just to conclude that little story is that then evolved from having that stat package to me getting rid of a lot of the buttons and just having it was it's a one point button and a foul button yeah so i'm still keeping track of points and fouls um i've still got the program where someone anyone can have it where just they can record everything but i think you're right you need several people doing it but in that space where you used to have all the buttons i create put big buttons and when you press that that's when you get the sound effects and all of a sudden we were like i wonder if what this would could we are we allowed to do this and that's how that evolved to i love this you're sort of breaking new ground we're gonna play american you know well it's, it's like organ isn't it dan dan yeah. dan dan i oh, mean most of it blue. is hit blue uh this one yep stuff like that isn't it stuff like that little jingles and anything um, just to put put the change the pace of the game but not necessarily on either side of the team. Obviously, we've got to remain non-biased. Well, the, the jingles, basically, it encourages the crowd to sing Let's Go Portsmouth or Defence. Mm. Fundamentally, that's all it's doing. Um, and yeah, I, th I think it sounds great. Like I, like I said, I remember the first time we did it and I saw the captain of Portsmouth was Ollie Blake and he got the ball, started bringing it up and we were like, Dan, no, da -da -da -dan, ch -ch, or something like that. And his face just, face just lit up and I was like, that you can see he loves it. Uh, likewise, uh, playing the Jaws music and that's coming up and when shot clock's going ball. down. Yeah, that's a good one. Guy's throwing it up and you go, you've got like four seconds left, mate. You're just getting excited by the music and the guy just throws it up and you think, oh, okay. Yeah. But that... You've got a shot clock there for a reason. Yeah, to get everything else. Because a lot of the teams the are not, don't have many people turning up. So then having 200 people plus a load of noise and things going on. 350. They're, they're, they're feeling like, <laughs> yeah, I know. But I'm just saying, you know, when you've got that many voices, you, you it's a different It's, it's the it's six a different man. Pressure. It's the it six is. man effect, isn't it? The crowd becomes a six man. Absolutely. Oh, and I think it's a, a few times it did. Swim, sorry, sink or swim moment, isn't it? If you yeah. go into that environment as an away play, it's either going to give you a massive buzz and go, right, I just want to shut these people up. Yeah. Or it's going to have that where you just you know, go into your little cocoon. Do you like playing with crowds? If they're, if I'm at home, I guess, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's stories about playing in Brixton. Uh, Brixton was a really difficult place to go in and into and play. Why? Uh, as a youth player. They used to have, didn't they have a Man, DJ at I'm one sure point? sure I heard stories from Mick about having to get a police escort out of there at stages. Yeah, I heard that yeah. as well, yeah. I think uh, um, it's like these, you know, <laughs> southern kids coming into London, like yeah, that'll, that'll do you it. You know what? The last time we played Brixton in Brixton, I remember they had this DJ full on decks, and the game started, and literally was like, and it was like, I, I thought it was really off-putting. I remember I had an open layup, <laughs> and all I could think about was this music going. Um, and you missed it? No, I, I think. Um, I would say it was a goaltending mark. Oh. 
I would okay. say it's a goaltending moment, but yeah, it was it's your story. Mickey yeah. Byrne didn't go to that game. You tell you tell <laughs> your truth. Was, Alex coached that game. I don't know where it was, but um, but yeah, we I don't know if you remember we had we managed to get um, Brixton in the, a cup final when we were in Div Two as well. Remember right. That? Yeah, I Can do remember, remember playing back at that court again. Yeah. Uh, no, not in Brixton. It was a cup final. So we had to go up. I think it was like Manchester or something we went up to play. And we right. went up on the Saturday night and then the game was on, or the Friday night and the game was the next day. Okay. Can you remember that? No. Oh, my goodness. Did we go? We lost We lost the final. The trouble with those games is you always end up having a drink because you're there with a group of blokes. And, you know, it's like Saturday night. The game's not till Sunday. You're in a hotel. You end up in a bar. <laughs> you got to play basketball the next day. Yeah, well, we definitely lost the game. I remember that. I think we lost by, I want to say we lost by 16 or 18. And it was a guy called Mundy Castle. Yeah, I remember that. Mundy Castle Cherry. got MVP. They called him Cherry because like he got a load of his buckets from cherry picking Mundy Castle. Oh, okay. Paul Mundy Castle. Paul Mundy Castle. I'm pretty sure that was his name. Well, leading on from that, there's only one place you go after the smugglers. Yeah, because the, the smugglers folded, didn't it? It just ended um, in the early teens, 20 teens, however you phrase that. And then you're looking for basketball. Um, where do you go? Well, yeah, it was a bit vague on what year it was, 20 teens. Um, so I think this is around 20, um, this has got to be 2012, 2014. This is when you go back to Solent Kestrels to play National League basketball. Been? I was in my late thirties and realised that I uh, I wanted to play national league again, and Portsmouth didn't have a national league team, and so yeah, rather than let that opportunity slip away and 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 look back and wish I'd played national league again, I went to play for a couple of years over at Solent Kestrels for their second team in Div Three for Sylvan Donode. Oh, Sylvan. Yeah, I remember him. Yeah. Nice nice guy. Great coach. He's got... I've, I've um, never been coached by him, but I know he's got a fabulous rep, reputation as a good coach. Everyone always says positive things about him. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's, he, knows, he knows basketball really well. A strategist again. Great practice coach. Um, you know, he's always got different drills. Every week is different drills. New drills every week just to kind of keep you on your toes, keep you thinking. Um, I guess that's quite nice, isn't it? So you started out, you know, your National League career in the Solent Stars and you end in the Solent Kestrels. I never really thought about it like that, but in a nice sort of cyclical fashion, I do seem to have started and ended there, yeah. Yeah, that's nice. And you see, yeah. and, and all throughout all of that, you know, you were playing local league for the ports of smugglers yeah i reckon i played and still are 20 years for mick either national or local league in between in between those and i'm still playing yeah rest in peace but yeah i'm still uh, i played my last season for mick uh we're unsure at the moment what's going to happen with the team next year um but yeah he made it is it going you to know, stay the ports of smugglers or will it become the navy? To be to be revealed, I don't know at the moment. Um, I was just going to make a point about how 
there's a photo in the newspaper uh, for his obituary or something and it, it's the game after your finals we took a photograph as a team under the hoop and like half of us had taken our shoes off weren't wearing like we were just wearing like our top I had to put my top back my team top back on um, and Mick's sort of coming over to us on his walking stick and he goes put your fucking shoes you can hear him saying he it goes put your fucking shoes back on <laughs> and that was one of those moments where I'm like it's just Mick being cantankerous but in hindsight if I'd have known it was going to be his last photo uh, I would, of course I would have gone back and put my my kit back on and uh, yeah my shoes back on but I think I'm in socks in that photo and I think there's a lot of those photos throughout the years Quite you where the game finishes and people just kick off or take their shirt off and then it's like hang on we got a finals photo or something like that but uh, yeah I, I know um, I know there was a few of us um, in that weekend who actually had a nice interaction with Mick and it was nice to uh, say goodbye in a, in a, in a, in a certain way um, so I think you know definitely um, Mick was quite open about how he was feeling stuff like that with you know some of the people he's known for um 30 years so um it was i guess good for him to say that because you know people just thought screw it, i'm just going to say what i want to say to mick you know just in case and you know those people it was nice because you got you get you got that moment say goodbye if you know what i mean yeah wow so, I mean, you know what? We always tend to end up back with Mick. I, again, it just highlights how much um, well, he's, he's, he's yeah. part of the, you know, the culture and the basketball community and setup yeah. around here. But it's the Portsmouth. He's basketball. pivotal. It's the he's Portsmouth. a pillar. He's Portsmouth a pillar. basketball podcast, isn't it? He's a but pillar he's, of Portsmouth basketball. Yeah. There's, there's, and that legacy of the force now, even if he's doing something even if he was involved or he wasn't involved no matter what the legacy is that the fact that there's going to be a national team and all those bits that's that's his legacy that's his real mark on it is that there's people still playing basketball that there's feeder teams that there's youth teams that all of those things and all those players that all comes back from him and, and taking those hits you know, financially himself as well as putting his time in and everything. I think there's a lot to be said for him. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. I think it's interesting though because you've you both had different experiences with different coaches, different journeys in your basketball. Um, but one of the things that I asked Andy Brogan last time, I think. It, quite prevalent for you is how do you stay you know longevity in basketball because you 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 know in the last thing you mentioned there was about you were in your 30s and you're like I still want to play I still want to do that and one of the things Andy mentioned was how you'd been away from basketball for a while yeah yeah right and then he was like I just want to come back and play again and I think it's really interesting that there's there's times you know I know you've all done it sometimes where you've been like I've been coaching a bit more or done the refing, and you've stepped back a bit from the basketball and then a few seasons you're like no I want to get a hand on again I want to get in so how do you stay 
longevity-wise playing physically? Stretching. My thing is stretching. Yeah. Um, so as a measure for injury prevention, right, if you want to do anything in sport at a later stage, in your, at some point in your career, it becomes really important to start stretching, right? If you don't, you're, you're just going to be more injury prone. So uh, it's the main thing I rely on to be able to keep playing is stretching before, stretching afterwards. Uh, and that reduces the amount of pain. It doesn't get rid of the pain. You still hurt the next day, but you just hope that you're less injury prone. Have you had any bad injuries career-wise? Um, You've been quite lucky, haven't you? Ankles in my youth and then like... I mean, uh, everyone has the ankle injuries, but you've been quite lucky from where I can't remember. Recurrent back issues. So it's more, it's more like a few days after playing basketball. If I don't stretch, I'm definitely more prone to uh, getting like a twinge in my back that, yeah. that, that will become a problem. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, there was one thing that I wasn't, you know, just highlight, just going back on the Mickey Byrne stuff was obviously that influence that Mick had on you you know you then um, you know that that boys set up that you did do you want to talk about that for a bit yeah so I was living in South Sea but playing for the Solent Kestrels um, in, you know in my late 30s Division 3 over there for, so, for Sylvan um, and I don't know if you remember Simon Coutard the French, Simon Coutard yeah yeah Coutard uh French coach who was living over here and he set up so when I got involved with the Portsmouth Basketball Club there was a full uh, spectrum full age group National League program for girls and the boys side didn't exist so what Simon had done was applied for funding to get girls involved in sport and so he'd set up Portsmouth Basketball Club to be a girls club based on the fact that there was funding available for, for him uh, to do that and so when I got involved with Simon, it was to to start increasing participation in Portsmouth amongst uh, Portsmouth schoolboys. So we started an under-14s club. Um, I went around the schools drumming up interest to start a uh, Portsmouth under-14s basketball club for the, uh, for the boys, yeah. And um, basically, point, Mark, what we're talking about here is Steve is one of the founding fathers of the Portsmouth Force. Well, this is the seed of it, yeah. Um, this is the really early on, so this is... Your seed was used in the inception. 2017, we are... Um, yeah. This is the, but it is the start of it. And if you look at if you look at like the fun and fundamentals and stuff like that, you've actually got National League boys now. It's kind of gone... The other way it's around. It's a complete reversal, yeah. I mean, it's great to see. But, um, yeah, it'd be I, nice to see, like, if we could get a girls' programme going as well and, like, mirror the, what the success uh, has been created on the boys' side. But, yeah. yeah at, some point, uh, at some point, I got Rob involved and and he has just taken it and run with it. Uh, he's done such a fantastic job of increasing participation, increasing the profile of the sport in the city. And... Uh, I couldn't be prouder of where of where he's taken this club. With what I handed him it was just a boys club. We were kind of playing friendlies and that was it. So I mean, just alongside that, you know, the stuff with Simon Gotol, Simon 
he had a really good girls national league team set right. up there i mean they were yeah. really competing um and just to highlight the strength of that and i brought this up before i think is you had some of the players that have now gone on to play for solent kestrel's girls set up you know oh you did in yeah, portsmouth yeah. yep they were part of that wow portsmouth. yeah and look where they are now you know they're winning, green is it they're winning div div one national league women's yeah they're all they're part of that a big part of that definitely Faye. Faye is like mvp finals mvp league mvp uh, league champion wow she, she could pretty much produce a triple double on command wow we should, should see if we can get her on 100 percent. she lives in the area of your studio 100 uh, percent. what steve you might have to steve uh send she's, a message. she must be on facebook we'll see if we can find her um, yeah. Don't, yeah, don't great, advocate his Facebook guest. stalking. That's never any good. Right, Steve, you know, I really appreciate you coming here, Steve. I mean, again, like I said, I think he's been involved in all the basketball for the last 25 years, National League, and, you know, some of the setup, the foundation seeds of, you know, where the Portsmouth Force is now. Um, yep. The only thing we can ask of you, Steve, I think, do you mind taking a shot? on our studio court. Yep, you got to wrap up with a shot. We've got, we got a few questions for you. Does Steve Davison mind taking a shot? Yeah. <laughs> not, not <laughs> there, I'm not getting tequila out. We're not doing shots, not shot shots. I'm not known for passing the ball, guys. <laughs> right. <laughs> Never <laughs> knowingly, no, no. I'll do the commentator like usual. Where's the ball well, at? Before we wrap this up, we've got to do some shots. Are we going to do that first? We're going to do oh, that I was going to let him do that and then come back to that. All right, we'll do that then. Yeah. Steve. So there's no pressure at this. But I'm just before we start this, I'm just gonna say Paul casually just threw the ball once and I called him out on it and it went in. I then tried to call him out and say double or nothing and it went in again. How much do you owe him? <laughs> it's just respect. He went he got <laughs> bragging rights. No, no, because he got greedy and then he went three for he tried to go three for three and no, two for three. Look, it was two for two. No one cares about the other seventeen shots. No one cares. <laughs> right, but th this is this is serious stuff now. This is probably the toughest shot you're going to have to take. So this was two shots, but Steve Ware asked for a third shot. So the third shot is known as the Stevie Ware bonus shot. Did he so make any of them? He made one out of three. Who's so who's all-time leader? Steve Ware with one out of three. So pressure's on. So here we go. All right, we've got Steve Davison stepping up to take this shot now. He's looking confident as he walks to the the line that Mark has drawn that everyone, everyone stands on, nervous. I don't know if you can hear that court. Steve, do you need glasses on? Are you all right? You're squinting your eyes a little bit. Right, here you go, Steve. Getting ready to take his his first shot. Oh, he's, oh, he's doing so some. Serious. He did say he was doing stretching. He's he's using two hands on this ball. Oh, he's going for the granny style shot. Oh air ball. Airball. Absolute air ball. He's going granny style. He is probably about. This is the Stevie Ware bonus shot. Oh. Zero. It looks a lot easier than it is. Didn't even touch the ring. Steve, how do you feel after those three shots? 
Oh, is that the time? Yeah. Pressure. <laughs> did the Reggie no. did the Reggie I feel? Miller. I feel fantastic, Paul. <laughs> I feel like Yeah. So ready to go to a real basketball court with a real ball and a real hoop. <laughs> and air ball there as well. Ooh. Three air balls. <laughs> Well, Mark always likes to finish I always the like podcasts that. on two questions. Yeah. So we've asked everyone so far, if you could have one person, it could be any basketball player. So this could be NBA FIBA, or someone you play personally. Someone you played with National League for Ports and Smugglers, <laughs> who, who sat on the bench. We have there. Oh. I won't give it away, but Andy Rodens gave a very interesting one for this it answer. It's a unique answer. Very interesting answer. You got to give the what them the ball. They got that one shot. It's the, like the Robert Horry, Michael Jordan. It's that one shot. The game winner. Oh, big shot, Bob. Big shot. Who's it going to be? Who are you going to pass it to? Who would be that one player? Uh, to make one shot to win a yep. an NBA title. To win a game. To whatever, win whatever game. To to save the world. Whatever. Who that who one would it person be? get the ball? It could be Shaq. Well, how inside. much pressure is there? It, it's the championship. It's the game seven. Game seven, game down seven. by one, 10 seconds to go. Yeah. yeah. So a two or a three, doesn't matter what it is. It's... This is a silly question. No. Who, 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 would, who would you be passing it to? Michael Jordan. Jordan? No hesitation. No, there's no hesitation. It's very interesting. That's like... Isn't Not everyone has answered that. Well, everyone's crazy. <laughs> Okay, and we'll, we'll lead with this. You're starting five all time. <coughs> Basketball players. It could be anyone. And Sorry, you, you, you're going to give him a sub as well? You can have a sub. You can have a sub. You can have a sixth man. Don't get the full bench, just a sixth man. No, I know Steve, and I think he's going to be unique. I've given some thought to this before the, today. I've just got to try and remember them. So it's... It's John Stockton at one, all-time steals and assist leader. Yes. John Stockton, right? Two-way players. I, I want two-way players all the way down the line. Greatest right? statistical point guard there is. Uh, Michael Jordan at two spot. Um, I think LeBron James is filling up the stat sheet of, uh, in, in five stats, right? He's going to be top. 10 in 5 stats I think um, oh, 4 spot 4 spot are you going to play yourself just so you can play with these guys I'm going with um, people talk about Tim Duncan at the 4 I just he's one of my options um I don't know what his stats are. I think I was looking at people like maybe Bill Russell and Hakeem Olajuwon at the five. Hakeem is um, top five, or top top ten in five stats. He's an all-time blocks leader. And I and want people who can receive the ball and oh, like ah, Hakeem. <laughs> no, Kareem. Sorry, maybe it's Hakeem, Hakeem and Kareem. I want them. I want them at the four and five. So. I'm going with like all-time leaders on both ends of the court. Michael Jordan's a two-way player, right? He, you know, he's Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, yeah, that's. So you've got John Stockton, MJ. How's it looking? LeBron, Kareem, 
and Hakeem. So who's your sixth man? Who's coming on? Uh, let's go with Wilt Chamberlain. Wow. Whoa. I mean, out the gate, other than John Stockton, that's a big team. There's some, there's some tall players there. Now, you listen to Gary Payton talk about guarding John Stockton. He just gave him nightmares. Yeah. Yeah, um, even MJ says it's like they knock him down and he just gets he's, up. He's, he's like, tough, but he's all-time leader in, st in steals and assists. He's the he's the greatest point guard statistically to have ever been on the court because of his all of his the stats and you look at his turnovers and the shooting percentages and everything. And he's going to facilitate those other guys. Did he uh, ever miss? He didn't have an injury. It was like seventeen seasons or something. Something like that. Didn't miss a game for seventeen seasons. Relentless. Yeah. So who's your sixth man? Will Chamberlain. Will Chamberlain. Interesting. That's very yeah, interesting. I might oh, revise it. I might revise it as time goes by. But uh, for today, that's a great. That's a great all time. That's a great all time indeed. I mean, that, that's worthy of a Space Jam film for sure. <laughs> well, S Steve, you know, I really appreciate you coming on. On, on the on the podcast thank you for having um, me on thank you for giving me the opportunity to tell my story and to contribute to the Portsmouth uh, story of Portsmouth basketball thank you for sharing them thank you for sharing some you know some of those sh stories are I mean Oklahoma things gonna keep doing what you're doing that's crazy yeah and you gotta hook us up with some more people so people you can think of alright we'll just stay in touch well Steve Davison, thank you very much. And, um, well, that's the end of it. I mean, who we got next? I have no idea. You keep messaging me and saying, what date is it? We're doing this person and this person. And I just, I lose track, to be honest. I think next, have we got Tom? Well, we, we can put him next. Yeah, so it's Tom Milner. Um, he's been National League coach for the youth setup, inspired by Steve Davison, um, for the last six, seven, eight years now. Yeah. So, you know, he's going to have a great perspective on everything. Feeds nicely from uh, taking over from where it started. Yeah. But thank you so much for your time today. Tom was actually there with me at the beginning. I was coaching Harry and Tom was my, he, he, he got involved and started helping me out with the coaching. There That's amazing. What a way to wrap up. Thank you so much for listening wherever you are and whenever you're doing. Tune into all our episodes and if you haven't gone back, go listen for more. Have a great week and we'll speak to you next time. Yeah.